Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. The 1st of February 2023 marks the second anniversary of the coup in Myanmar. Last week, the junta announced an extension to the state of emergency, which was supposed to come to an end on the 31st of January. They also announced that the supposed democratic elections would be put off for another year. Joining me on today's program to discuss the ongoing civil war in Myanmar is Debbie Stoddard, founding member of the Alternative ASEAN on Burma. We have to actually understand that this is not any kind of election in any way, shape or form. This was supposed to be a sham election to justify uh, an illegal coup and to overturn the results of the November 2020 election. The next scheduled general election for the country will be in November 2025. But um, junta leader Min Aung Lai had been proposing and promising um, elections in 2021, 2022 and 2023. The reality is that the rest of the international community, including some member states of ASEAN, are very uncomfortable with the idea of the junta holding sham elections this year because it's been clear already the way they have outlawed so many political parties and they've gone they've launched on a vendetta against not just NLD leaders but also NLD members and NLD member elected members of parliament that they have no intention whatsoever of allowing anybody, any viable opposition to run. Therefore, the democracy movement has consistently condemned uh, the proposed election, and we've already seen the destabilizing effect of it. What this extension of state emergency uh, means is basically the junta is not confident that it can hold even a sham election, even having destroyed most of the political opposition parties and jailed so many uh, former heads of government and elected MPs, they still don't feel confident that they could hold any kind of sham election in order to somehow justify their continued power um, in the capital and also to justify a normalization of economic and diplomatic relations. Well, let's dive into this a little bit more deeply um, because I I think there are a lot of pundits talking about what would happen um, if the election did uh, go ahead. So what you were talking about and and what I I also agree with is that the last two years of the coup have given the junta an opportunity to to change the laws to change the context all of all of those um alterations the um outlawing of various political parties all designed to guarantee that whoever wins that election is a puppet government installed to maintain um the the military junta's power and what uh, you're talking money, yeah i think i think i think in the past in the past year we've seen this illegal junta gearing up to have a hold a sham election to justify their illegal coup and continued grip on power in the center of the country however it, even though they have stepped up 
um, the violence, particularly airstrikes on communities, they still have not been able to gain um, ter stable territorial control over most of the country. A few months ago, uh, UN, former UN experts actually reported that the junta had stable control of only 17% of the territory, whereas combined resistance forces held over 50%. So uh, the junta was hoping, was gambling on the fact that the sham election, even though condemned, would justify a normalization of economic and diplomatic relations. But it's pretty clear, despite them going after the elected MPs, uh, jailing former heads of government, and basically shutting down and outlawing and persecuting any pro-democracy party, their intention to have an election where only one party wins, which is their party, still is not working. So tell me then about the resistance. We'll talk a lot about the resistance in this conversation. Um, how is it that the resistance has so far succeeded in preventing the junta from moving forward with its um, sham election? Well, the, the first thing we have to understand is the uh, region, some parts of the international community, including ASEAN members, have felt very much concerned that the sham election was not going to stabilize the situation. In fact, the spike in attacks on com communities, you know, we've seen a 400 and, uh, 493% uh, uh, increase in airstrikes during 2022 compared to the year before. And these were airstrikes targeting schools, music festivals, internally displaced people's camps, um, even state capitals. So um, uh, uh, this has really caused a lot of concern that the junta has stepped up violence in order to gain territorial control so they can have this sham election. And it doesn't actually give anyone any confidence that this is a step towards stabilizing the situation. So um, we already we already see um, that uh, the the junta also real we have we, we now see that the junta realizes despite uh, their very uh, desperate um, attempts a desire to find some kind of uh, legal justification for their continued hold on power in the state in the in the nation's capital that. They can't even do that because they don't have control of the situation. They cannot safely hold elections in in, in the majority of the country. Well, to yesterday being the two-year anniversary of the coup, the resistance or the op opposition, how broadly you want to describe it, staged what is being called a silent protest or a silent strike. What does that mean? And also, how effective is a silent protest when there's so much bloodshed on the street at the moment? The the silent strike was a response to um, the, the extreme violence that the junta inflicted on unarmed protesters. Let's not forget when the when the coup when the when the military launched their coup on first February twenty twenty one. We saw unprecedented 
protests, uh, unarmed peaceful protests all around the country. And this we have we have not we have never seen this extent of um, solidarity and protest peaceful protests happening in the country before. It's even it was even more widespread and more persistent than the eight eight eighty eight uprising. Now, what how the junta responded was by uh, uh, by disproportionate violence. Young people were being assassinated and killed in the streets with snipers. People were having grenades thrown at them. Um, so we could already see that uh, that was basically warfare. Basically, unarmed civilians became sitting ducks for a very brutal and well-armed military. So when, with this kind of extreme violence, the, the movement, and various strike committees and young people, including such the civil disobedience movement, had to find different ways to express them, their resistance to the coup and 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 keep most people safe. That's why there were like there's flash mobs, there were um, online protests, but and there were even you know bagging pots and pans at night. But in the daytime, we saw that people started to you know, in response to extreme forms of violence against unarmed protests, protesters started to find different ways. And one of the ways that they protested was to have a silent strike, which means stay off the street um, and and let the streets be silent for the hours or the day that's designated. In uh, many shopkeepers, many um, business people in the market and shops were warned that they would lose their license and be forced to shut if they shut down their businesses. So some uh, retailers creatively only put one item up for sale to have a token, uh, to be able to show the authorities they were still open for business, but to also uh, uh, express their solidarity and support for the silent strike. So I think um, it's been a very creative way to respond to this in addition to the flash mobs and online protests and lots of other ways that people have resisted this coup um, because we know that not everyone can engage and should engage in armed resistance. All around the country in the past two years, we've seen ethnic armed organizations transform into res ethnic resistance organizations, teaming up with uh, People's Defense Forces in the non, um, uh, in the main Burman and majority areas, um, people who became urban and rural guerrillas in order to fight back against the illegal junta. So, you know, we've, we're seeing resistance happening on all fronts. Even students, uh, uh, and teachers in the CDM, the civil disobedience movement, refuse to participate in the regime controlled education system. So we're seeing people actually having their own revolutionary education system, having alternative schools, um, people trying, despite the lack, the, despite the disruptions to internet access and, uh, and disruptions to electricity, electricity supply, folks are going further online and having online classes, whether you are university level or high school or middle school level. And in a situation where 
40% of the population is now under the poverty level. The disproportionate violence and the systematic crackdown by this junta in areas that they have control over have so much decimated the, the, the economy that the Myanmar chart has lost 60, more than 60% of its value. And the UN already estimates that the poverty rate has been doubled to 40% of the population. Despite this, people are still donating to the uh, People's Defence Forces and to the resistance. In the past few months, we've seen uh, young women uh, in show trials uh, in different parts of the country being sentenced to up to 10 years jail simply for donating $2 to the resistance on their uh, mobile phone app. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. I'm speaking with Debbie Stoddard, founding member of the Alternative ASEAN on Burma. We're discussing the extension of the state of emergency, the further delaying of the elections and the general situation in Burma, two years on from the coup. Well, in relation to the poverty that you've just described and the how miraculous it actually is that people are still able to contribute to the resistance, even though they are also in poverty. I want to, I want to look at the devastating impact this coup has had on the economy. So, and this is already against a global economic crisis as it already stands. So we know that the country's GDP has collapsed by 15%. We know that the currency is now. Uh, half of what it was before the coup. Even if the resistance is successful, is it possible to rebuild from here? What would it take? I think seeing what's been happening in the past two years, it's pretty clear that we should not underestimate the resourcefulness and the determination of the peoples of Burma. We've never seen all these different ethnic and religious and political groups so united. Um, We actually have not, we've actually seen how doctors and health workers considered public enemy number one by the junta for having started the civil disobedience movement, uh, starting their own underground public health service um, and, and underground education and, and, and communities, students and teachers started running alternative um, and underground education system. We've seen people People who are not willing to fight, being willing to put their lives on the line by being the rescue teams to uh, rescue and treat uh, injured resistance fighters. So everyone is taking a risk and everyone is being extremely um, determined despite incredible pressures. People are being pressured to, uh, to, to withdraw from the movement or to become spies and informers and yet despite all this pressure um, you know the movement is still continuing I think you know what was really amazing is that there are even all women people's defense force PDF units we've seen a village women and IDP women learning how to dig aircraft shelters so that they and their neighbors and their children can hide when they hear a drone or aircraft in the sky. They, you know, basically we've seen this amazing resilience. And what was really also quite amazing was a young woman being so determined 
to help the resistance that she went online and researched how to make drones. So she's made drones just based off the internet in a country where just access to materials has been so challenging. So, you know, if we see this is how people are so determined, so creative and so capable in this situation of what amounts to a, a, a civil war in a country, um, there's no telling what they're capable of when there's peace and resources to rebuild the country. Do you think that there's a clear pathway to victory for the resistance? Absolutely. The junta is losing the war on the ground and they have been resorting uh, to airstrikes uh, to try and gain territory and to push people back. And they particularly uh, continue to have this um, strategy of attacking civilian communities in order to hobble the resistance. So most uh, what we've seen in 2022 is the regime forces launching 449 airstrikes, uh, up from 91 airstrikes in 2021. Basically, in 2022, we saw a 493% increase in airstrikes, which mainly target civilian uh, uh, civilian buildings, um, music festivals, schools, um, IDP camps, and so on. And basically, target aimed at killing the maximum number of civilians possible. So if we are looking at that, then the UK's and Canada's sanction on aviation fuel makes sense. Um, Australia has finally, uh, uh, after two years' silence, come up with some um, sanctions. And what we need to actually see is that if we are going to support a return to peace and an opportunity for the peoples of Burma to rebuild their country, then we need to stop the junta's ability to get access to aviation fuel, to get access to weapons and get access to revenue because they're using all their resources to inflict war against civilians. Once we stop that, it will be much easier for this revolution to win. Well, sanctions was my uh, next question because um, we we have seen these wide-scale calls for international sanctions and we've seen some movement internationally in relation to that. Um, and I know that you're talking about targeted sanctions on the profits of the junta uh, to uh, disable them from further acquiring the means to conduct their war. But Will any of these sanctions affect the already impoverished people of Myanmar? I think we need to understand one thing. Um, the biggest threat to people's well-being in Burma is the military junta and its war on civilians. Uh, what we uh, need to, to understand is targeted sanctions, uh, sanctions that target the economic interests of the military and their allies. What we haven't seen, if we, if we're talking about, if people really, if the international community really care about people in Burma, they should be stepping up commitment to community and grassroots organizations already doing uh, uh, humanitarian work on the ground. What we've seen is international organizations, including UN agencies, trying to placate 
and persuade the junta to give them some access to certain areas. But the reality is that the, some of the neediest parts, the most urgent, the, the most vulnerable parts of the country that need urgent humanitarian assistance are not under the control of the junta. The international community needs to make a strong and systematic commitment to cross-border assistance, to help local groups who are already on the ground continue and, and scale up their excellent humanitarian work. And these many of these organizations are working under very challenging con conditions and relying on donations from the diaspora because uh, everyone, because most of the key agencies are still fixated with trying to negotiate with a junta that doesn't even have access or control on areas of Muslim. In fact, what what this junta is doing is causing a more intense humanitarian crisis by blocking aid and by launching more artillery attacks and ice strikes on local communities. Well, the ASEAN is um, being hosted this year by Indonesia. Do we have any idea when that meeting might be? And do you think Myanmar and these sanctions and international cooperation against the junta will be a significant part of that discussion? At this point, ASEAN is split. We're seeing Thailand, Cambodia, Laos and Vietnam aligning with the illegal junta in Burma, Myanmar. And countries like Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia and Philippines being more concerned about uh, this behavior, which actually goes against the spirit and content of the ASEAN Charter and all other key uh, commitments of the region. So um, uh, the former Indonesian Foreign Minister Martin Atagalewa earlier this week actually gave uh, an interview and called, basically echoed what most people are already saying, that the Myanmar crisis is an existential threat to ASEAN. Now, Indonesia, as one of the founding members of ASEAN and the largest country in ASEAN, um, understands that the stakes are high. And there's a lot of attention being focused on Indonesia as chair of ASEAN this year. If, if the more, if the, if Indonesia is not backed up by stronger sanctions, then it doesn't have leverage to push the agenda further. While ASEAN itself may not um, impose targeted economic sanctions on the junta, targeted economic sanctions and aviation fuel sanctions and also arms embargo on the junta by uh, Australia and other countries internationally will certainly strengthen Indonesia's negotiating position. Otherwise, there's not very many sticks that Indonesia will have. And we already saw that this junta doesn't respond very well to carrots. Well, Debbie, thank you so, so much for your time on the program today. Was there anything you wanted to add? On the 1st of February, about more than a 1,000 people protested in front of the illegal junta's embassy in Bangkok despite all kinds of security constraints. And many of them were also undocumented Burmese forced to stay in Thailand because of the war unfolding in their home country. Just as importantly, 
there were Thai activists who are facing their own human rights struggles, but who turned up for this important event. All around the world, people were protesting in front of the embassies of illegal hunter, calling for a return to people, a return to democracy, for human rights to be upheld, a cessation of the military violence, but also calling for the international community to act more strongly. Why should the international community deal with a junta which is already losing this war? It now is the time for Australia especially, but all countries all around the world, to turn up the heat, whether it's in an arms embargo, an embargo on aviation fuel, or targeted economic sanctions. And it's time that we did that, because prolonging this war is going to hurt us all. Everyone, you know, in this region, in the Asia-Pacific, so many governments are obsessing about the war, the impacts of the war in Ukraine. And that's justified. But then, the Ukraine, the Ukraine currency lost 30% of its value. The Myanmar chart has lost more than 60%. And in December, conflict-related fatalities in Burma were high, were higher than Ukraine. During, in the period between February 2021 and by December last year, Burma had 30,297% conflict related fatalities. Yes, uh, Min Aung Lang, um, had a year's head start on Putin, but the Ukraine death toll, despite all that attention and understanding of how serious the situation is in Ukraine, was 28,674 conflict-related fatalities. Now, what that's telling us is that the uh, the concern and the attention on the on the invasion of Ukraine is absolutely justified. However, not paying attention to Burma is going to bite us on the ass even harder. You've been listening to Debbie Stoddard, founding member of the Alternative ASEAN on Burma. And that's all we've got time for on today's program. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally by the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. Music for Accent of Women was written and produced by George Kanjeri. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.